from the fourth chapter of Acts. Acts 4, 20, uh, 29 through 31. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch your hand uh, out to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Most of us are people of routine. We keep our schedules, we do our jobs, we stay in our own lanes. But sometimes our routines become ruts and we miss God. It takes something big, something extraordinary to get our attention, to wake us up, to make us see beyond ourselves and notice what God is up to. In the book of Acts, we see God do just that, something big and extraordinary. He established and unleashed the church. With just a handful of emboldened eyewitnesses and a story of good news, God forever changed the world. He did more than anyone could have imagined, and he still does today. So don't miss it. Let's open our eyes and see God do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. If you have a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 4. That's where we're going to be today as we continue to look at some of the amazing stories in the book of Acts involving the early church and what God was doing in the world during the first century. Acts chapter 4. If you were here last week, you saw the prayer that we put before us to challenge us to pray throughout the week. And here's the prayer. God, help us dare to imagine what you might do, what you can do. And then God, give us the faith to see when you do it. Did you remember to pray the prayer? If not, it's never too late to pray. You can take a picture of the screen or jot that down. I hope that you did. I hope that you thought in terms of God working in the world around you. Many of you had a lot going on this past week. Many of you started school. Some of you had big meetings and big opportunities at work. Maybe some of you going through different transitions in life or relationships or in various aspects of what you're doing. Maybe some of you had health or medical issues and probably many of you sat with others going through some of those things I just mentioned. But I wonder, did you see God work this week? And not just, yeah, there was one day when I was trying to get across town and, and God made every traffic light green. I got all the way across town in record time. I, I don't know if God did that or not, but, but not that. That's not what we're talking about. Maybe something a little deeper. Maybe, maybe how did you see God advance his kingdom and his purpose in the world this week? How did you see him draw people to him? Did you see God bring peace when there was strife or conflict? Did you see the will of God played out in conversation, in activity, in the things happening in you or through you or as a witness to what you saw in others? I don't know if it was because my awareness was heightened because of this prayer and this challenge this past week, but I had several conversations when we talked about what God was doing, specifically. And sometimes I would bring it up and sometimes the other person would bring it up. One individual talked about how at work, prayer broke out spontaneously among the group. And she said, that is uncommon. That was not expected. That is amazing, she said. That's a God thing. Someone else I talked to, a gentleman on the phone, told me a little bit of a story and how so many hard times had come his way. Health issues and then job issues and financial issues and just thing after thing challenge after challenge and 
he said, through it all, God has seen me through. God has been with me. God has carried me. God has blessed me. And a part of me is thinking, man, it sounds like your life is really tough, and yet he proclaims faith in God and the provision of God even in those tough times. This past week, I myself got to be part of a situation that was relatively scary. It was, it was uh, difficult. And I prayed this prayer, and I prayed specifically for peace And God brought about peace to that situation in a very visible, very tangible way. I would encourage you to continue to pray this prayer or a prayer like it. More than that, continue to look for God, for the hand of God, the work of God, the fingerprints of God all around you, through your life, in your home, at the workplace, wherever. Continue to look for God. And maybe it's not something so specific, or maybe it's just a glimpse of what God is doing in a broader picture, and, and maybe it's just, just the beginning, or maybe the middle, or maybe you'll see more clearly later on, but be aware. Continue to open your eyes and look for God. Today, we continue in our series, Immeasurably More, looking at the first part of Acts and all the things that God was doing through the power of his Holy Spirit to advance his kingdom. The church had just begun, and he empowered his followers, not only with the message, but with the power of the Holy Spirit to take the world by storm. And that's what they did. People were responding to the good news of Jesus, responding to the gospel of Jesus in droves. But you know, you think about that, to respond to the message, you have to do what? You have to hear the message. You have to first be exposed to the good news. You have to hear the message of Jesus Christ. In Romans 10, verse 14, we're told that. How can anyone call on the name of the Lord unless they believe? And how can someone believe unless they've heard? And how can they hear unless what? Someone tells them. Someone preaches to them. Someone proclaims the good news to them. You and I have opportunities every day, every week to preach. And by preach, I don't mean necessarily what happens up here because let's be honest, some of the best sermons haven't happened up here. Amen. We all have opportunities to proclaim, to share the story of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. But if you're like me, and I'll be real honest with you, sometimes I don't do it. Sometimes I make excuses Sometimes I don't know what to say. I don't know if I should say something. How many times have you let opportunities go by and you look back and you think, ah, I should have said something. I should have mentioned my faith. I should have mentioned Jesus. I should have invited them to church. I should have said, hey, do you want to open up the Bible? And I didn't. I bet all of us could admit to times like that if our awareness is such that we want to do those things. Do you miss opportunities that God puts right there you don't say something one day this past week I was going to a a big medical facility in town and so I parked the vehicle I got out and I was walking towards the door and I noticed there was what appeared to be a teenage girl and maybe her mom that got out of a car and they were walking in front of me to the building as well and as I looked up I noticed on the teenage girl she had a big white price tag sticking out of the collar of the dress she was wearing. It was very noticeable. And I, 
assume she didn't know that, although maybe she had the mentality of, you know, I'm going to wear this dress all day. I'll take it back to the store tomorrow and get my money back. I've known some people who've done that kind of thing. I'm sure no one in here has done that kind of thing. If you have, you can respond at the invitation and we'll pray for you, okay? But my guess is this girl did not know that she had a huge white price tag sticking out of the back of her dress. And I'm about 10 or 15 feet behind them. Her mom is sort of beside her, maybe a little bit in front. And so unfortunately, she can't see this girl's back. And I'm thinking, should I say something? Should I say something to this girl? I don't want her to be embarrassed. But then I thought, if I, to say something, I'm going to have to sort of run up there to her. And that's really strange. And, and, you know, it's also kind of creepy and strange for a middle-aged man to say something to a teenage girl, especially about her clothing. And so I thought, I don't, I don't know. I thought, Mom, can you just lag behind a little bit so you can see this price tag? But no, Mom was marching into the building. And the whole way I'm having this, this internal conversation, this conflict, I'm, I'm probably overthinking it. Should I say something? Should I not say something? Should I do something? Should I not do something? Well, we get to the door. They go right. I go left. I never said anything. I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't say anything. Two hours later, I saw her walking out of the building. She still had the price tag on her back. No, she did. I didn't see that. I didn't see that. I assume maybe her mom saw it or someone saw it and handled it discreetly. But why didn't I say something? I completely removed myself from responsibility to say something. And yes, I, I had good reasons. I, I thought they were good reasons. I still think they're good reasons. But I also thought that's someone else's job. Someone else is better suited to say something. Does that sound familiar? How many times have we had an opportunity to say something about someone and something so much more important? How many times have we had opportunities and we have that internal battle, that internal conflict? Should I say something about Jesus? Should I say something about my faith? Should I not? We make excuses. We rationalize, we dismiss ourselves from responsibility. We say that's someone else's job. Someone else will do that. Someone else is better suited to do that. If you're like me, too many times go by and I miss those opportunities. In Acts chapter 4, we see just the opposite. We see what it looks like to speak about one's faith boldly, to speak about Jesus in a powerful way. Not to wait around, not to make excuses, not to say that's someone else's job, but to step up and to speak up about the good news of Jesus Christ. Before we get to Acts 4, we need to back up a little bit, set the stage, a little bit of context. Of course, last week we talked about Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, Peter preaches the gospel, the Holy Spirit is there working, 3,000 people respond. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are at the temple courts. And outside the temple courts, at the gate, they see this man. He is begging there. He's on the ground. The text says he's lame. There's something physically wrong with him. And so he's there begging for money. Peter and John walk by. He asks them for money. They say, we don't have any silver or gold to give you, but what we will give you is something far better. Isn't it interesting that so many times in his sovereign wisdom, God gives us what we need, not always what we want. In this case, 
Peter and John tell this man to get up, and they help this man up, and he's able to stand up on his renewed strength provided by the Spirit of God. He is healed. It's a miracle. And he runs into the temple praising God. And Peter and John use this incredible sign that is undeniable because people are there watching as a platform to preach the good news, to show, to demonstrate the power behind what they just saw. God did more than anyone could have imagined, certainly more than that guy could have imagined. Well, the Jewish officials, they confront Peter and John because they're stirring things up, all this healing, this teaching, they're talking about the resurrection, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection, there are problems. And besides what they're teaching and preaching and what they're doing, it's the response to what they're teaching and preaching. Now, 2,000 plus more people have been converted to Christianity, to Christ. So now the numbers are growing. This thing is gaining momentum. And as the way, as it's called in Acts, as the Christian faith gains momentum, so does opposition against it. In fact, this matter was serious enough that the highest ruling council of the Jews, the Sanhedrin, calls in Peter and John. We want some answers. Where are you getting this power to heal this man? By whose name are you doing this? Who authorizes this? Where is this coming from? Chapter 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And then Peter says this, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. What a response. Those Jewish officials want to know, where's this power coming from? In whose name are you doing this? And Peter says quite boldly with unmistaken courage, it is the name that is above all names. It is the one who has the name at which every knee shall bow. It is the name that only brings salvation. Salvation is found in no one else except Jesus. It is Jesus. This response did not go over so well as you can imagine. But the Jewish leaders were just as confused as they were enraged because this powerful message, this testimony was coming from just ordinary guys. Look at verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You see, their education didn't set these men apart. They hadn't been trained by a teacher of the law. They hadn't gone to rabbinic school. They hadn't even taken an online class in theology. They were unqualified in all respects, except what did the Jewish leaders know about them? There's one thing they knew about them. They had been with Jesus. You see, that was the difference. Listen, your greatest credential 
to share your faith, your greatest qualification to share your faith is your connection to Jesus. If you have a connection to Jesus, then you are qualified to share your faith. Training is good, education is important, but the power of your message to others is the gospel itself. So speak about Jesus and your relationship to Jesus. Share the difference that he has made in your life. Tell about your encounter with Jesus, just as Paul would do time and time again throughout Acts. Tell who Jesus is, what he has done, what he means to you, the life that he brings. Explain the way of Jesus, how it is so different from our world, a world that we try to find enjoyment in and happiness in, and it continues to disappoint us. And here's the way of Jesus where true fulfillment is, where true blessing is. If you have a connection to Jesus, then you have a voice. You have a voice that should be used to share the good news. Well, the Jewish officials were in a bind. They couldn't deny that the lame man had been healed. Everyone saw it. They saw it. They knew it was real. But they also knew that with every word these guys said about Jesus, it was like that snowball rolling down that hill, getting bigger getting stronger, going faster, more and more momentum. Soon this thing would be out of hand, and they had to stop it. By the way, isn't it interesting? They couldn't deny what they saw, but they were unwilling to let themselves accept it and submit to it. Sometimes our personal agenda is so strong, is so forceful, that we will let our own personal agenda supersede truth even when truth is undeniable pride has such a blinding effect on us well not knowing what else to do the Jewish leaders decided to to just kind of shake their finger at Peter and John and say stop it stop talking about Jesus stop mentioning him stop doing all these things in his name don't talk about Jesus anymore now be on your way and I want you to see Peter's response and John. Verse 19, they replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We saw these things with our own eyes. We can't help telling other people about it. And they go on their way, and the text says that they join their other Christian friends or brothers and sisters, and they tell them about what happened. You guys won't believe what happened. The Sanhedrin called us in. They said, stop teaching about Jesus. And we said, we can't help it. We've got to. And the text says they all join together in prayer. Now, what do you think they prayed? What would you have prayed? If I'm honest, here's probably what I would have prayed. God, that was a close call. A little too close for me. If I'm going to do this for you, God, remember, I'm doing your work. I'm sharing your gospel. I'm preaching. I'm doing all these things. If I'm going to do this, and God, you need to do some things for me, like make it a little easier. Keep me safe. Don't put too many enemies in front of me. And if they are in front of me, just sort of plow through them so that the way is made safe for me. Besides, God, if I'm in jail, if I'm dead, how can I preach? How can people hear God, remember Romans 10, 14, people won't call the name of the Lord unless someone preaches to them. I mean, we could make a case, right? 
You know what they prayed? If you have your Bible open, look. They began with praise. Huh, there's an idea. Instead of God, me, 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 God, you. Sovereign God, you are the one that made the heavens and the earth and everything in them. You see, that sets the tone for the prayer. That sets the tone of the heart. God, you are in control. God, you are sovereign. God, your wisdom and your will far exceed mine because I do want safety. But God, I know you know what's best. I submit to you. And then they pray. They acknowledge that through the ages, including in their day, and of course we would say in our day, there are always enemies of the cross. There is always opposition to the gospel. They acknowledge that, and here's what they say, verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You see what they prayed for? Do you see what they didn't pray for? They didn't pray for comfort. They didn't pray for convenience. They didn't pray for the path to be made easy. They didn't even pray for wisdom or deliverance. They prayed for boldness. You think God answered that prayer? Luke wants us to know the answer to that question. Verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I know God loves to hear our prayers. Whatever's on our heart, whatever we're praying about, I know he loves to hear the prayers of his people, of his children. But don't you know when they prayed for boldness, there was a little grin that sort of came over God's face. You know, we're using our terms to describe God. But if, you know, if he had a face, if he, the little grin that came over his face, it's like, yeah, here we go. And he shook the place where they were. It's like, yeah, it's happening. You're going to have boldness. You're going to have power. You see, in that day, God knew to make things move forward, to expand the kingdom in the first century, to get the church off the ground, to spread the good news so that souls would be saved. God knew that he needed bold men and women to proclaim the gospel. He knew he needed followers of Jesus who were real and genuine about following Jesus. He knew he needed men and women who would not back down but would step boldly to be ambassadors of Christ. You know, that's what we are. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20, you are an ambassador of Christ, a messenger, a representative of Christ. Look at the rest of that verse. As though God were making his appeal to the world through you. Think about that. Your family, your workspace, your community, whatever that looks like, your friend group. What if that is your world in which God has sent you to be an ambassador? He's making his appeal to that group, to those people through you. The more opposition to the gospel increases, the easier it is for God's people to be silent. To not, to not take our role as ambassadors serious. To take no responsibility to speak up. To make excuses. To say that's someone else's job. Someone 
is better suited to do that than me. So let me just share a couple of things from the text about boldness as we begin to apply what this might look like in our lives. First of all, boldness is born out of conviction. We can't help speaking about what we have seen and heard. That's what they said. We can't help it. We've experienced Jesus in a real and a personal way. How he lived, how he died. But that wasn't the end of the story. God raised him to life. This is all undeniable. We have to tell people about it. You don't come across that every day. This is special. This is different. This is from God. How can we not tell people? Like the prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 20, it's like a fire inside me, like a fire burning in my heart, like a fire deep within my bones. I can't shut it in. Like the apostle Paul would say, I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach. Have you ever been so convicted of something that you couldn't help say something? You couldn't help but to speak up? Think about riding shotgun with someone who's driving. We've all been there. And maybe the person driving is talking or not paying much attention, and you're approaching a stop sign rather quickly. What do you do? I don't want to be a backseat driver, but we're about to die. So you say something. Stop sign. Stop sign. Stop. Hey. Right? Car coming over. You see that car? Now, some of us are a little more gifted than others about speaking up in the car. Not always when it's a matter of life and death, but, you know, got to help that driver sometimes. Light screen, light screen. Hey, light screen. Okay. Why would you speak up in a time like that when a stop sign's approaching and you know the driver can't see it, they're going to barrel through it? Why would you say something? Because it is serious. It's a matter of life and death. Until we feel a sense of urgency about people dying apart from Jesus Christ, we will not speak up. Boldness will be something we attribute to missionaries and martyrs, not to ourselves. Boldness is born out of conviction. Secondly, boldness is fueled by, is powered by the Holy Spirit. When we read those words, Peter and John saying, we, we can't help but to speak. It's almost like, well, what do you mean you can't help it? Something or someone is controlling you? You, you can't say whatever you want to say? No, we can't help it. Well, something is working in them, isn't it? Remember Peter filled with the Holy Spirit? Throughout Acts, boldness is a recurring theme. You'll see that word time and time again. You know what else is a recurring theme? The Holy Spirit. The two go hand in hand. And God doesn't expect you to be strong and courageous as an ambassador of Christ, relying on your own strength. He's inviting you to lean into the strength that he provides through his Spirit. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, for the Spirit of God, the Spirit that God gives us, it doesn't make us fearful. It doesn't make us timid. The Spirit is not about timidity, not about fear, but rather it gives us power, love, self-discipline. Aren't those the very things that we need in order to speak up and speak boldly about Jesus? We need power. We need love. We need self-discipline. 
And God says, those things belong to you. They are yours through the spirit that I give you. If you're tired of being timid, if you're tired of having a weak witness for Christ, then stop relying on your own willpower and start relying on the spirit of God. Surrender your life to him. Surrender your thoughts to him. And let the power and love and self-discipline that he provides lead you into these conversations with other people. Finally, boldness is not abrasiveness. To be bold does not mean to barge in and bully others in the name of Christ. Boldness is not the same as being harsh or rude. We are ambassadors for Christ, not pit bulls for Christ. When we come across as wanting to win an argument rather than truly caring about someone, we completely lose them. When we come across like we're selling them something, like we're trying to close a deal, or that we know more than they know and we want them to know that we know more than they know, doesn't that just ruin the very thing that we're trying to do? You see, we really need to check our motivation. What is my motivation? What is my objective in this conversation? Is it to show that I'm right? Is it to win an argument? Is it to show how smart I am? Or do I truly care about this other person? Remember the love part of the spirit that God gives us? Power, love, and self-discipline. Boldness is not abrasiveness. Boldness must be accompanied by discernment. Peter did not get combative with the Jewish officials. He didn't argue. He didn't demean them. He didn't manipulate them. He spoke truth to them, didn't he? He spoke truth, and he pointed them to Jesus. Paul would write in Ephesians 4, verse 15, that when we speak the truth in love, we show that we are spiritually mature. Speaking the truth in love is a sign of spiritual maturity. Speaking the truth without love, I don't think it's a stretch to say that's spiritual immaturity. Showing love without truth, same thing. Spiritual immaturity. Paul says we are equipped to speak the truth in love. Does the world need to hear truth right now? Absolutely. Maybe more than ever. But the world also needs to hear and to experience tangible love, the love that is attached to that truth, the love and the truth that is and was Jesus the Christ. So boldness. When the moment arises, when the pressure increases, what will you do? When the opportunity to say something arises, will you step up Will you speak up? Will you act with boldness? Remember, the disciples of Jesus didn't pray for an easier path. They didn't pray for protection or for deliverance. They prayed for boldness. Christian writer and speaker Erwin McManus tells a story about his son Aaron the first time he went off to church camp. Here's how he tells it. He says, Aaron was a little guy and I sent him off to church camp and I was glad it was a Christian camp because I knew they would be positive, it'd be a positive environment. He said, I got to thinking about around the campfire at night. 
And I know how that goes with kids sometimes, at least back then, and they like to tell ghost stories. He said, but they didn't tell ghost stories at this Christian camp because, you know, Christians don't believe in ghosts. He said, but they told demon stories and devil stories. And he said, Aaron came home scared to death. So at night when it was bedtime, Aaron would say, Dad, don't leave the room. Daddy, don't turn off the light. And finally, one night, Aaron said, Daddy, would you pray that I would be safe? And McManus said, I could feel it. I could feel it. I could feel warm blanket Christianity wrapping around him. Pray for safety, safety, safety. And this father, in his wisdom in that moment, said, Son, I am not going to pray that God will keep you safe. But I will pray that God will make you dangerous. So dangerous that when you walk into a room, all the demons and the devils will run away. And Aaron said, okay, but dad, can you pray that God makes me really, really dangerous? What are you praying for? I think our default setting is to pray for safety. What if you prayed to be dangerous? Not in a destructive way, of course, not in a harsh way. Boldness is not abrasiveness, but dangerous in a way that is empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak the gospel with boldness, with the opportunities that God provides. So will you pray that prayer this week? If you need to jot it down or take a picture of it, do that. I encourage you to pray this prayer and to open your eyes and to look and see how God is working around you. Be aware. And then take that next step. When the door is open, when the opportunity is there, to act in boldness. And maybe it means inviting someone to church or inviting them to open up the Bible and have a discussion. Or maybe it means telling them what Jesus means to you. Or, hey, there's a different way to live your life. Let me tell you about this different way. It's so much better. Will you speak and act in boldness? If we can help you this morning, let us do that. Let us encourage you. We care for you. Let us pray for you. In just a moment, a couple of our shepherds and their wives will be in the parlor it's a room right behind the stage area. You can go out and then go around and find them in there. They would love to encourage you, to pray for you. That's why they're here. They want to shepherd you. So feel free to go in there in just a minute when we stand up. Or you can come down to the front and we'll encourage you as a church family. And if you're ready today to tell this group to confess to God that you believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and you're ready to surrender your life to him, to be baptized into Christ, do that today, don't wait. If there's something we can do, we invite you to come as we stand and sing. Let's stand.